Many years ago, the late Dr. Henry Ironside was on the streets of Los Angeles when he came across a, a street preacher who was vigorously preaching to a large crowd of people around him. And as he listened, Dr. Ironside quickly realized that the preacher was sharing the views of a very popular cult. As Dr. Ironside looked around the audience, he observed a man on the other side of the crowd listening closely to the preaching. And on occasion, he noticed that a smile would appear on the man's face. Dr. Ironside felt sorry for the man being misled by this false preacher. So when the preacher was finished, Dr. Ironside made his way to the man and striking up a conversation, he asked, Well... What did you think about what the preacher said? The man replied, well, he sure did tell us, didn't he? Yes, he surely did, replied Dr. Ironside. But what did you think about what he preached? With a smile, the man looked at Dr. Ironside and said, I sure couldn't answer him. But all the time he was preaching, there was something inside me saying, it's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. If you recall in this this letter to the church, The Apostle John was confronting the lies of the Gnostics who had crept into the early church. The Gnostics claimed to have some new and improved knowledge from God. A special kind of knowledge that the Apostles did not teach and normal Christians did not have. And if people wanted to really know God and to be right with Him, then they needed this special kind of knowledge that the Gnostics had. Well, this special kind of knowledge was nothing but deceptive and dangerous speculation about Jesus and the nature of man. So John revealed the truth and he exposed them. John let his readers know that it was he and the other apostles who had actually been with Jesus. They heard his teaching. They saw his miracles firsthand. They were eyewitnesses to his ministry, to his death, and to his resurrection. Something these Gnostics could never claim. And John exposed them for what they truly were. They were false preachers and teachers, and missionaries whom he called Antichrists. That's a strong word from John. But it's an accurate word. Because they claimed to represent God, and yet they rejected the truth about His Son. This morning, we're going, John is going to take this subject of truth a little further. Meaning that we're not only to know the truth, but we are to live in it. So, if you have your Bible, 
Turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Not the gospel, but the letter. 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to pick up where we left off beginning with verse 24. Okay? 1 John chapter 2 beginning with verse 24. Are you there? Okay. And he says, As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which He Himself made to us. Eternal life. If you notice in this passage, John uses the word abide three times. And let me say that when you see a word like this repeated several times in a passage, it's being emphasized. It's an important word. And if we are to understand what John is saying to us in this passage, then we first need to know what he means by this word, abide. In the Greek... It is the word meno, M-E-N-O, which simply means to remain, to stay, or to reside. And when speaking about the gospel truth of Jesus Christ, and that's the context here, In a roundabout way, John is saying something we often say to someone who comes over to our house. Make yourself at home. Make yourself at home. Now, we understand that's merely an expression we use to be polite, right? But let's think for a moment about what we are really saying when we say, make yourself at home. Are we telling a house guest that they have free reign to do anything they want in our house? Meaning they can go through our closets and our dresser drawers? Are we suggesting that they can hang up pictures of their family? Rearrange the furniture? Treat the house as if it was theirs and walk around in their underwear? Lord, I hope not. But when it comes to the foundational gospel truth of Jesus Christ, the truth they heard from the beginning, from the apostles, that's precisely what John is telling Christians to do. Let the gospel truth which you were taught and were born again make itself at home in you. Allow it to settle in and take over your life. Let it abide in you. Let it remain in you. For if you do, John says, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. Now, what does John mean by that? In the context of abiding in the truth, John explains that the gospel is not just a set of doctrines that we agree with, but rather they lead us into a real 
personal relationship with God through His Son. We aren't just supposed to know the truth. We are to live in it and let it live in us. For when we do, John says there is an outcome. There is an outcome. We will experience the fullness of our relationship with God and His work in our lives. That's the outcome. In this passage, John is describing this reciprocal nature of our abiding relationship in that To the degree that we give ourselves to God in knowing and obeying His Word, to that same degree we will experience our relationship in Him. It's reciprocal. Jesus spoke on this in John chapter 15. I love this chapter. Beginning with verse 7, He said, If you abide in Me, This is Jesus talking. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If someone wants to really experience God, both Jesus and John tell us how. Let the gospel truth which you heard from the beginning abide in you. Be at home in the Word and let the Word be at home in you. In the sense that you obey it and apply it to every aspect of your life. And to protect yourself from being led astray by false teaching, abide in the Word. A word spoken by Jesus who promises eternal life to those who believe. You know, when it comes to false teaching, in our day and time, Typically, those who spew it seek to create confusion about the person of Jesus Christ and His finished work. Thereby causing doubt about the salvation and the eternal life He freely offers. But the gospel, the gospel brings reassurance. For it clearly teaches that our salvation is not based on our performance, but rather by the grace of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. For by grace... For by grace we have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God and not the result of works so that no one can boast. Our works are merely the result of our salvation, not a means to it, as some may teach and preach. Now beginning with verse 26... 
John shifts his focus back to these antichrists and their false claims of having special knowledge from God. And he says, These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has been taught to you, you abide in Him. Okay, it seems that people tend to be attracted to those things which are described as new, suggesting that we think new is always better or improved. But we know that's not the case, especially when it comes to the gospel. When it comes to gospel truth, new is not better. In fact, John would say that which you have heard from the beginning is better and cannot be improved. Yes, it may be the simple truth, but it's the gospel truth, and we should abide in it, especially in the days and times in which we live. For us in this last hour, the Apostle Paul gave us this warning in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. He said, But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits. Let me just stop there for a second. When I saw that word, deceitful spirits, my mind immediately raced to all the paranormal activity we see in this world today. As if you are really talking to Grandpa. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Last week, we talked about those who depart from the church and the core beliefs of the faith. And John said, this revealed that they were never really part of God's people to begin with. They were with us, but they were not really of us. And so they what? They left us. And why? Because in this last hour, there will be those who say they have some new and improved insights from God. There will be those who suggest that they have received an updated revelation about Jesus, contrary to what the apostles taught. And in this last hour, there will be those who claim that God has divinely inspired other scripture outside of the Bible. But I am here to tell you that their teaching should be rejected outright. All of it. As deceptive doctrines 
for they are trying to entice people away from the gospel truth given at the beginning. If Satan, if these antichrists, if these false preachers and teachers and missionaries can create any confusion and doubt about the gospel, namely by twisting who Jesus is and what he has done, then like dominoes, people who accept it will fall. It's inevitable. Now, verse 27 needs some explaining. Otherwise, why am I setting up here? John says, As for you, the anointing which you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But His anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you abide in Him. Okay. We need to keep this in context. Because at first glance, it seems that John is suggesting that we don't need godly teachers and preachers to help us understand God's Word. And if that's the case, what am I doing here? For that matter, why is John writing this very instructive letter to the church? Why does the Apostle Paul tell us that God has equipped some to do what? Preach and teach. So by comparing Scripture with Scripture, we can rightly conclude that John is not suggesting what he seems to be suggesting. And if that's the case, then what does John mean by all this? In a nutshell, John assumes that they are abiding in the Word. And know the core truths of the gospel. And because the Holy Spirit dwells in them and guides them, they contest the teaching of men for themselves. And if you remember what I said last week, the best way to recognize a lie is to know the truth. If someone says to you, The Lord told me this. But what they say does not line up with God's Word. The Word given from the beginning. Or they quote a Bible verse, but knowingly take it out of context, which they often do then we know intuitively it's not the Spirit of God who is giving them their insight. According to John, believers already have what they need. They have the indwelling Holy Spirit and the tried and true gospel working in conjunction together to help us discern the truth from a lie. They have what they need. Some just don't know it. During Super Bowl 37 in 2003, FedEx ran a commercial that spoofed the movie Castaway. Remember the movie Castaway? Tom Hanks? In the movie, Hanks plays a FedEx worker 
whose company plane went down, leaving him stranded on a deserted island for years. After his rescue, the FedEx commercial shows a dirty and disheveled Tom Hanks returning to the old job. He goes up to the door of a suburban home, package in hand, and rings the doorbell. When the lady comes to the door, he explains that he survived five years on a deserted island. And during that whole time, he kept this package in order to deliver it to her. She gives a simple thank you. But he is curious about what's in the package that he's been protecting all these years. He says, if I may ask, what was in the package after all? She opens it and shows him the contents saying, oh, nothing really. (laughs) Just a satellite telephone, a global positioning device, A compass, a water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff. Thank you again. You keep up the good work. If this FedEx worker had known what he had, he could have used all that stuff when stranded on the island. And in the same way, as believers, we already have what we need. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who guides us in conjunction with God's Word to help us discern the truth from a lie. We just need to abide. We just need to abide. And in these next two verses, John expounds on that from another perspective. Beginning with verse 28, John says, Now little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of Him. Okay. This passage is going to require some explaining. Christians begin their walk by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. We know that, right? We all know that. But then what? Well, John gives us a straightforward and simple answer. Abide in Him until He returns. Now, there's that word abide again. It's a favorite word of John's. And this time, he presents it to us in the form of a command. It's a command. It's an imperative. It's a command which implies we have something to do. While we wait for the Lord's appearance. And I need to remind you that the next event on the prophetic timetable is the rapture of the church where Christ appears and meets us in the air. So while we wait in anticipation, we are to abide in Him. Meaning. Meaning. We are to remain in obedience to the Lord. 
We are to love one another just as He loved us. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. And we are to hold firmly to the truth of the gospel that was given to us at the beginning. We are to abide in Him. That's John's command to us. And it's a continual command. And then He gives us some motivation. John says that when Jesus comes for us, if we are abiding in Him, we will have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame. Now, let me say, not all Bible scholars agree on the interpretation of this passage. Surprise, surprise. But it seems that when Christ appears, one of two things will occur. Confidence or shame. When speaking about confidence, I hope that Christ finds you and me persevering in the faith. Abiding in Him. Being loving and obedient and faithful moment by moment, step by step, and day by day until He comes. I hope He will say to you and to me, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear from Him. And by abiding in Him now, we will have confidence and boldness and assurance when He appears. But the opposite is just as true. By failing to abide in Him, there will be those who shrink away in shame. Now here's the question. Who are those who will shrink away? away in shame. Is John talking about those who claimed to be Christian, but they were not? Is that who he's talking to? Or is he talking about Christians? I want to address the merits of both. For quite some time in this book, we have been talking about false preachers and teachers and missionaries and their followers who have turned away from the church, both physically and theologically. And it would make sense that when Jesus appears, for them, there would be shame. And when speaking of shame, Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8, verse 38. This is Jesus talking. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, 
in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of Him when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. So I can see where someone could make the case that John is talking about those who claim to be Christians, but in reality, they are not. And they will experience shame when Jesus appears. I can see the merits in that reasoning. But for the sake of argument... John could just as well be talking to Christians. And in the context of this passage, I think he is. When it comes to Christians, we normally do not think of being ashamed at the appearance of Jesus. That's a, foreign, that's a foreign concept. It's an odd idea. But we can't ignore that John began this passage with now little children. Speaking of the born ones of God. Referring to fellow believers. That's how that passage begins. And we must also remember that after Jesus appears, there will be the judgment seat of Christ where our faithfulness in this life will be evaluated. Listen to what Paul says. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me. This is Paul speaking. Like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now. If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Again, this is Paul talking. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now later, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 9, Paul says this, Therefore, we also have as our ambition whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear 
before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Okay. In both of these passages, Paul explains there is a judgment for Christians. Okay? There is a judgment for Christians, but it's not a judgment for sin. It's not about salvation. It's a judgment where the character of our actions and our motives will be evaluated by the Lord for eternal rewards. After Jesus comes for His church, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And He will judge our faithfulness in this life. More specifically, He will evaluate the quality of our actions and our motives for eternal rewards. And for those actions and motives which Jesus considers worthy and valuable, like gold and silver and precious stones, there will be eternal rewards. But for those actions and motives that don't measure up, well, there will be the loss of rewards. And in that experience, in that experience, maybe at least for a moment, there is a possibility of shame for those Christians who were living worldly and unfruitful lives. So, what we do and why we do what we do in this life has some bearing in the life to come. And therefore, John would say, Listen, my children. Listen, my children. Because we are born of God, because we know the gospel truth, because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, because Jesus is coming for us, abide in Him. Stay with Him. Remain in Him. Be at home in Him. And live your lives in such a way that people can see the family resemblance to your Heavenly Father. People should see the family resemblance in our lives and go, you look just like your Father. And when Jesus appears, when Jesus appears, you will be approaching Him in confidence and not cowering before Him in regret and in shame. So the question is, Will it be confidence or cowering? That's up to you. But, but John would say, abide. Simple as that. Abide.
and you don't have to worry about it. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank, you, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord God, for the, the, the gospel truth that cannot be improved. I thank you that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. I thank you, Father, that Jesus gave himself in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's only reasonable. It only makes sense that we would abide in him. That is our reasonable act of service, that we would abide in him. Father, I pray that your word would make itself at home in our hearts and in our minds. Give us a hunger for it. Give us a thirst for it. And Father, help us to obey it and apply it to every aspect of our lives. May you be honored and glorified. And Father, help us to resemble you in the here and now. I hope one day, Lord, to hear these words from you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Father, for that motivation alone. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> <clears throat> So are you confident? Let me ask the question differently. If somehow, some way, if somehow, some way, you knew That Jesus was coming next week. Okay? You got the inside track. Somehow, some way, you knew that Jesus was coming next week. Would anything in your life change? <laughs> Get <getting> the looks. <laughs> Think about that. If you knew he was coming next week, would anything in your life change? I know it wouldn't mind. I know it wouldn't mind. Absolutely. There are some things in my life that would substantially change if I knew he was coming next week. And that's a clue. That's a clue that I'm not abiding like I need to abide. I'm glad you're here this morning, and I hope I hope these words uh, resonated with you, and I hope they percolate and they just cause you to evaluate. Am I making this harder than it has to be? The command is listen. Just abide. Stay with Him. Remain with Him. Make Him, make him at home in your life. Give Him free reign. Lord, I am yours. I surrender all. I am yours. That's what He desires. Because only then are we going to experience the fullness of our relationship with Him. Only then. Abide. 
Make yourself at home in His Word. And let Him make Himself at home in your life. And things will be changed. Things will be different. Just abide. Now maybe you're here this morning and you admit, you know what, Bob? Uh, that's, that's not my life. Christ does not abide in me. In fact, I don't even know Him. I hear about Him a lot. But I must confess, I don't have a relationship with Him. I don't know Him like others say they know Him. I would love to introduce you. He loves you so much. And He wants to make Himself at home in your life. Give me that chance to share Him with you. Maybe you're looking for a church home. A place you can call home. We'd love to have you here. Or maybe there's something else. You just need some prayer. I would love to pray with you as well. How would the Lord lead you? Just respond to Him. Thank you for coming this morning. And I would like to go ahead and just uh, close us in prayer. And I'll pray for our offering and then also for our fellowship. And I do hope you stay for our fellowship. Uh, let me pray. Father, again, thank you so much for, for drawing us here this morning. And, and Lord, I, I just pray um, that you would just use your words just to, to cause us to evaluate and, and take inventory of our own lives and, and, uh, and to, to remove those things which serve as a, as a hindrance and, and a barrier between you and, and us. And uh, Father, I just pray that, that Jesus would be our absolute everything that He would increase in our lives and that we would decrease. So, Father, that is my prayer for myself and for Your people. Lord, for our, our, our time of giving our, our, our tithes and offerings, Lord, I pray that You just bless uh, the gift uh, and the giver. And then, Lord God, I pray that You help us as a church to use Your money wisely. And, Father, for our fellowship, bless that time. Help us to make real and significant connections with one another. Bless the food. Bless those who brought food and prepare it. And, uh, Lord God, I just thank you uh, for using this time. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.